testing, testing. All right, are we ready? <clears throat> is it my turn or is it your turn? Uh, excuse me, I am the voice. Oh, yes, of so you're going to do it from yes, it's his job from now on. <laughs> All right, fabulous. Welcome to Murder Brunch. We are the Murder Brunch Bunch. I'm Clinton. I'm Rachel. I'm Joe. And this is the podcast where we bring you two tales of mayhem and mystery. Mayhem no. and murder. Murder. <laughs> Although we have some mystery. Sometimes. Uh, mystery murder. Murder. <laughs> Alliteration. Where a killer falls on Dr. Michael Stone's scale of evil. Beautiful. Is it? That was our best yet. <laughs> was it? <laughs> last time I was like, oh, perfection. <laughs> <laughs> I like to be positive. Uh, yes, so we're back here at Murder Brunch. We had a delightful brunch of... Clinton, you tell what it was. It was steak and... Yes, it was steak with a reduced creamy thyme sauce and some glazed carrots and roasted potatoes. Oh. It was super fresh. <laughs> Hello! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for picking up. Uh-huh. Um, yes. Accepting sponsorship now. <laughs> So we had, so it was like a full out meal, which was very very good. A and meal it was, you could order, and it was um, it was savory, which yeah, was which is nice. nice. We don't a lot of times we'll go more sweet, mm-hmm. and and well, after the past two days, I've had yes, we've I heard do, all about. I it. do not need more <laughs> sugar. Um, but that's not to say, listeners, we don't have sugar because we absolutely do have two cheesecakes, an eggnog cheesecake, and a toffee. toffee. Okay, I almost said Heath Bar, which I guess is the same kind of thing. Heath Bar is made of toffee. Okay. So we have that. And then for our drinks today, we have classic hurricanes. And they are tropical goodness. I'm sorry, I don't have any more ingredients to make you another one. I made homemade simple syrup. Just enough for everyone's time. Oh, that's okay. I have a jar of it. You know, I just buy it. (sighs) It's fruity. I like it. Mm -hmm. I'm actually feeling it, though. Oh, no. It is boozy. It's got four ounces of alcohol in it. So, Like, right here on my face gets really hot. Yeah, you're all red. You are. <laughs> when I drink alcohol, I have to pee and my face gets hot. Sounds about right. Yep. Hot. <laughs> Does so this turn you on? <laughs> Excuse me while I go pee. Goodness gracious. All right. I'm going to do the first story today unless there's something we need to talk about. I haven't heard anything new about John Eisenman, the case we're following. I would like to point out to our listeners that our brunch table has transitioned from fall theme mm-hmm. to winter theme. Yes. It's beautiful. Do you get new placemats too, or are these all the same placemats? They are older placemats. They've just come back into rotation. Gotcha. You have the cutest table runners. Yeah, you really do. And these tiny little presents. What the fuck? I my my present confetti. (laughs) (laughs) I found that I really like a snowflake motif. (laughs) Okay. That's what my house is right now. It's snowflakes and reindeers. I don't have any motifs. My house is a hodgepodge. You're of, like just Christmas thrown uh, against the walls. Mine is all about the tree. Like that's why it's, it's trees, trees, trees. My children trees. have broken every ornament. It's just, I don't, I don't know. Oh, my new kitten keeps on breaking shit. No. I got a new kitten right before the holidays, which is the wrong decision to make. We're thinking about getting a guinea pig. Hmm. <laughs> what? What's wrong with guinea pigs? No rodents in the house. Oh, but they're cute and no, fat. No, actually, they're like, cute and fat, and they die and traumatize your children. Oh, but they last a while, right? No, no. five years, six years. And you can't get just one; they die of loneliness. I don't think that's true all the time. All the time. <laughs> well, we're thinking it's about like a it. ferret. My kids really want a pet, and I'm just not ready for the dog just yet. So, 
Get a chinchilla. Just what the fuck? Why would I get oh, a chinchilla? Oh, chinchillas are adorable. Because they're, they're very cute. cute. They're cute, but aren't they like high maintenance? I don't know. I no, really, not really, because like you, you know, they're just like a guinea pig. They bathe themselves though. You just have to get the dust thing. And when they do it, it's real cute because you put it in like a uh, a uh, pie pan. You put the dust in a pie pan, set it out, and they get in there and spin really fast in it, and it like cleans them. All right, I'll send it to the committee. We'll Chinchillas see. are better. Okay. All I right. also have like those cute faces. All right. Well, this conversation is adorable. I think we should like, stop it. Uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about murder now, okay? Here we go. I'm going to take you back to the early 2000s. So long ago. I know. Okay. We're talking about Zach Bowen and Adrian Addy Hall. They're a couple who met as bartenders in New Orleans in the early 2000s. And when Hurricane Katrina hit in 2005, Addie invited Zach to stay at her place. And so he did. And while they were riding out the storm, they fell in love with each other. Like you do. Like you do. They thrived in chaotic conditions. Okay, so I'm reading a direct quote from one of the articles I read. Strangely, the two seemed in their element during the weeks after the hurricane. Without electricity, trading drinks for food, and no jobs or bills to worry about, it was more like an extended camping trip than a disaster. Hall became known for flashing her breasts at police, and the two bartenders would serve drinks to passersby. Their tale of love and colorful survivalism attracted many in the media, and the couple were even featured in the New York Times. So, they were... They they were in this like fantasy land almost they were they were taking advantage of the fact that there was the whole world had been rocked and they looked at the positives of of, you know seeing the stars when all the city lights were out and things like that i mean i'm sure it was still awful it was hurricane katrina but it was their honeymoon phase when everything resumed a sense of normalcy they found they could not cope with each other are you paying attention to me why are you looking at your phone I was looking up pictures of zach and addy no don't do it yet you might find out something you're not supposed to know yet I like the fact that Addie's name starts with A and Zach's name starts with Z. <laughs> so they're an A to Z couple. Yeah. Aww, All right. So let me tell you a little bit about Addie Hall. She had been molested when she was young. And due to that, she had developed abusive relationships throughout her life connected to her trauma and her PTSD. So she was not known for picking the right men. She was an aspiring poet. She lived above a voodoo shop in the French Quarter. And she loved to dance. And so she was just this free-spirited, wildling thing. Her friends loved her. You know, she was, she, I, from all, of, I could I could find a lot of reports of her being kind, but she was also very tempestuous and things like that. So she was just a, an artist. You know, you know how those artists are. Zach Bowen had served in the military and had been to Kosovo uh, pre-9-11 and also Abu Ghraib. He had been, he had worked there as well. I don't know if he was one of the infamous guards that they had like in photos or anything. I don't think that was the case, but he was definitely there. He he probably had his own bit of trauma. He did. He had witnessed and experienced horrible things, such as there was a child he befriended whose whole family were killed when they, when they were bombed because they were talking to American soldiers and stuff like that. And he had, and I, um, I believe I read in another article, he had seen a, a childhood friend who joined the military with him die, things like that. So he had experienced... Absolutely terrible things. And when he returned home, he received an honorable discharge, which made him ineligible for the GI education bill. And that really fucked him up. A dishonorable? No, honorable discharge. And it, so he wasn't allowed to do that. I don't, I don't understand know. that. That's what it said in the articles. I guess maybe because he didn't, he didn't do uh, the whole. Yeah, do his whole stint. Yeah. 
so he had PTSD, depression, and now no hope for the future because he felt like he couldn't pay for education. They were together almost two years, about a year and a half, when their problems became too much. They were fighting all the time, drinking, doing cocaine, and finally Hall, Addie, tried to have Bowen removed from her apartment. Tried to have Zach removed from her apartment. The landlord refused and said, go work it out with your boyfriend. Last, that was the last time anyone saw Addie alive. When you have problems, the one sh- really sure trick to solve them is cocaine. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> you just get through it real quickly. Yeah. Um, so. <clears throat> Let's have this argument while we're riding around a block. <laughs> so Zach Bowen wrote a detailed confession letter of what happened next. And by detailed, I mean like eight pages. Like it was very long. So here we go. You ready? He wrote... I killed her at 1 a.m. Thursday, October 5th. I very calmly strangled her. It was very quick. So that's a direct quote from his confession letter. He then proceeded to sexually violate her corpse several times before passing out next to her. It took him four days to decide what to do with Addie's body. He set the thermostat in the apartment to 60 to delay decomposition. And finally, he moved her to the bathtub and dismembered her with a hacksaw. Yeah, it's pretty awful. For two weeks, he tried to get rid of the remains, and in that time, he went about as if everything was normal. He went to work. He saw, like, friends saw him in this period, right? He even talked about going on vacation. He talked about, like, he wanted to, oh, I, I didn't grab this one, but it's a pretty famous quote from most of the articles where he said he wanted to spend time with good friends, good food, and good strippers. I don't know how he explained Addie's disappearance as far as like she wasn't but it was only two weeks so it's not a really long time if she was and i think because i kind of know this case but i think she she was prone to kind of disappear for a little bit and then reappear sure and, and friends weren't really worried about it yeah so in his confession he also wrote i scared myself not only by the action of calmly strangling the woman i've loved for one and a half years but by my entire lack of remorse I've known forever how horrible a person I am. Ask anyone. So he clearly states he has no remorse. He's very upset about it. After about two weeks of after Addie's murder, on October 17th, 2006, a call was received from the Omni Royal Orleans Hotel. A man had thrown himself from a terrace and died on impact on the roof of the parking garage. This was Zach Bowen. In his pocket, they found a note. This is not accidental, I had to take my own life to pay for the one I took. If you send a patrol to 826 North Rampart, you will find the dismembered corpse of my girlfriend Addie in the oven, on the stove, and in the fridge, along with full documentation on the both of us and a full signed confession from myself, Zach Bowen. Wow. Yeah. So when cops got to the apartment, they found Addie Hall's body parts stored in the fridge and cooking on the stove. He apparently was just cooking them to get rid of them. During his autopsy, they did not find any human remains in his stomach. Right. So he hadn't eaten anything. But it's a weird way to get rid of body. And like, also, if I could get a little explicit. But that doesn't work. No, of course not. And if I, like, the arms had been seasoned and stuff like that. So. So who, how is he getting rid of them? Well, 
I have the specific. You know, it'd be great if I just rub a little rosemary on it. That'll really, really get rid of all that. I, I mean, he might have done it for smell purposes. That, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. So that if, if something was cooking, someone would think that something it's actually was just cooking. cooking. Right. Yeah. But it, he could have. So a, I mean, first when you when you said it, I assumed he was trying to. Like, cook them to the bone, like, yes. and, you know, charcoal you, kind of thing. Well, I can give you this. Do you okay. want to hear the go. specifics? Because they're they're pretty gruesome. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. You all right with that? Yeah. There in a pot on one of the burners was a human head burned beyond recognition. In another pot were hands and feet. Inside the oven, in a large roasting pan, were arms and legs also burned. Investigators noticed that there appeared to be seasoning on the limbs. And on the counter next to the stove were cut up potatoes and carrots. Inside the refrigerator, in a large plastic bag, they found the torso. Hmm. It kind of sounds like he killed himself before he did something that he's like, I can't go back from that. <laughs> I, well, I mean, you can't go back from killing someone either. Well, it's true, but it sounded like he was getting pretty ready for some cannibalism. I know. And to me, it feels like he was he was setting himself up to do that and then kill himself. Like, this is my final experience I want to have and then maybe again couldn't go through with it or something like that. I don't know. Or maybe the he did only a other bit thing is he was going to cook them and then like Serving feed them people. to animals. Oh no. Oh, I'm glad you went with animals, but oh. spray painted on the walls of the apartment were messages saying I'm a failure and other such kind of information, as well as instructions to call Zach's ex wife and tell her that he loved her. So that was a whole different lady. Zach had cigarette burns all over his body. And according to his journal, he had one for every year. He was a failure. So he was, he was really fucked up. He was really messed up. The last sighting of him is on camera footage at the hotel. He's going back and forth on the balcony, seemingly psyching himself up. And then he's downing his last drink right before he jumps over the edge of the terrace. So they have like the footage of all of that. Just a little side note. One of the articles I read by Delani Bartlett for medium.com, she used this case to talk about how we as a nation are focusing more and more on true crime and how it's being exploited of all these victims. So I'm bringing that up because we're guilty of that. I mean, we're not, we don't make money off of our podcast. We try to talk mostly about the, the why things happen. I, I don't like to revel into in victims. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Their tragedies. Their tragedies. That's not why we do this, obviously, but we're, we're guilty of, you know, some part of the true crime fascination that's going on right now. And the reason she wrote the article about Hall and Bowen is because the woman who purchased their apartment after they died turned it into a true crime tourist spot. And you can Ooh. go there and still see, like, the stove where he was cooking and things like that. Well, they used the whole, like, they exploited the whole thing in that it was above a voodoo shop. Yes. So then all of a sudden they tried to tie in, like, paranormal stuff. And, yeah, they like, tried to tie it to black magic, but all police, all records show that, like, they had nothing to do with that. Mm -mm. This was a case of two people who were broken inside. And, and not only that, but I really couldn't find... I don't know if it's detailed in his confession letter, but I couldn't find the source of why that, why Zach did it that day. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, what was it about that day that he decided to kill her? Now, she suspected he was cheating on her and he was trying to get, she was trying to get him out of the apartment. But I don't know. It's, I mean, is that any different than any other fight they had had in the past few months? You know what I mean? So I'm not sure what pushed him over the edge on that particular fatal day. So... That is the story of Zach Bowen and 
Addie Hall. And then I have some scale stuff, but is there anything we want to talk about first? So is this an example of like two people with mental health issues that would have been perfectly fine if they had not gotten into this scenario that not perfectly fine because obviously neither one of them were perfectly fine to begin with but this was a product of that magic something of when two certain people get together and then all hell breaks loose i think that's a big part of it i think addy could have been i think addy could have been a lot better off if she had gotten help and everything zach says explicitly that he was a horrible person he had no remorse for this killing and that he was capable of of lots more the fact that he killed himself is pretty interesting but i don't know he may have always been set on this path and Mm -hmm. that it might have happened inevitably i also don't know anything about his military record i don't know how much like combat he saw whether that desensitized him to killing people i don't know but obviously these are two people who had mental health issues but never got help the way they should have. Yeah. Yeah. In any kind of capacity. Yeah, absolutely. This was definitely a, these these two souls probably should not have met. That is true. Thoughts? Anything? No, I mean, it does bring up, like, you know, it's fun to talk about nature versus nurture in other scenarios. And this is a, another one, you know, it's like, had they walked different paths in lives, would it have still ended up right the same? Or was it their conditions that led them to it? Were they always going to be kind of fucked up regardless of what they did? I don't know. Yeah. But no, it's... uh. And I did do, you know, I'm not a researcher, but I tried to do a quick look for anything about their childhoods. And the Addie Hall, Zach Bowen case is well... Documented. Documented. Like, as far as, like, lots of true crime podcasts have done Mm -hmm. it. Lots of articles have been written about it. But nobody talks about, like, their childhoods. Nobody talks about the families they came from. Even the allegation of Addie being molested like I haven't seen any accounts from like her parents saying that happened or who it was or you know or anything like that so I don't really know much about their background prior to the crime itself yeah it's true every time I've seen it presented whether it be on a tv show or a podcast or anything like that it's really they're talking about the sensationalism of the act itself right and then meeting each other yeah yeah and that kind of starts everything that's the catalyst for yeah so it's really sad it is really sad because it's just it's a product of a great horrible devastation to begin with you know hurricane katrina yeah and then they survived that to just go on to this horrible destruction of themselves right yeah and i mean the resources that should have been made available to him i mean he came back from from war and there was no one there to help him yeah, I mean, Acclimate and, and the fact that he was, he had an honorable discharge, and yet it was very much like, okay, now you're gone, see ya, you're on your own. Right. I mean, it's just when... I think he, I think he was allowed VA services, but yeah, the GI Bill was, was denied. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I don't think he took advantage of the VA services either. So... And do you think he would have done well in college? I well, I don't know. I mean, maybe that, maybe that would have... Maybe it would have been one less thing for him to not feel like a failure or one more thing for him to feel like a failure. Well, and his first marriage. Like, I don't know anything about his first marriage. What happened with that wife was, I don't even know if it was a, if there were charges of domestic violence. Like, maybe he does have a history of that kind of behavior towards women. I remember reading something about his first marriage and that it was kind of like he, they got married before he went to his military service and then like while he's at the in the military they kind of just fell apart so as he came back their marriage was pretty much just defunct at at that point 
So Wait, I thought I thought they had a kid. He these had a, two? Yeah, he had a kid with his first wife. I don't know. Most of the articles I read kept the, the first wife out of it. Yeah. So I didn't want to like probe more because cool. she really she doesn't need to be put on blast. Yeah, so. she, I'm sure she doesn't want any of that. So. Right. It's a big uh, gross mess. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk so about So I assume scale. it is Zach going on the scale. Zach, well, Addie had no right. hand in the murder, so. Uh, yes. I killed myself. <laughs> Zach Bow twist. Because I'm so tasty. A plot twist. All right, so Zach Bowen for the scale. And the scale I'm discussing, of course, is the one created by Dr. Michael Stone in The Anatomy of Evil, where he he has done his best to categorize quote-unquote evil in the human mentality. So this scale ranges from 1 to 22, 1 being... Justifiable homicide. And 22 being... Psychopathic torture murderers with torture as their primary motive. The motive need not always be sexual. Right. So I have three spots I thought he would fit in. Two... Jealous lovers, egocentric, immature people committing crimes of passion. I do feel like there's a, a little bit of arrested development about Zach. I don't know. There's something like he was held back from from achieving like true potential of himself. I don't, I'm not sure. So that immature part kind of mm-hmm. got me. Seven, highly narcissistic persons, some with a psychotic core who murdered loved ones. Because he did say he loved Addie. They started out. He is not narcissistic. He's got kind of the opposite of the failure syndrome. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. that could be part of it, yeah. I don't know. Some of his journal entries make it sound like he's he thinks he's smarter than everyone kind of thing. I don't know. So he's a martyr complex. Maybe. And then I have nine, which is another jealous lovers category, but this one with... That's not the right word. My auto-corrected something. With... Strong psychopathic strong, traits. It's a sting. Oh. Strong psychopathic traits or full-blown psychopathy. Ding, ding, ding. That we one, think that's that that, I Well... Because uh, I, don't I think that one is better than the narcissistic or even the other jealous lovers one. Mainly because I think someone at category two would have some remorse mm. and he has none. That's and true. I don't think it, I mean, what he did was, I think like crime of passion, right? You shoot somebody, you stab someone and stuff like that. He chopped somebody up and started baking them. Right. And strangling, whether he says it's, it was very, uh, it went very fast or whatever. Uh, it doesn't. It takes a while. So, uh, and then let's not forget, he fucked a corpse. He did. Several times. Yeah. So this, I mean, obviously, we have to put him down on the list where there is psychopathy. I agree. And I like the, I, I kind of like the idea of the, the jealous lovers thing, because I don't think it was jealous of her being with someone else. I think it was jealous of, like, maybe his own freedom, or, you know, I mean, he was... Or she moving on. Her moving on without him, or something like that. I think there's a, I think there's a layer there that, that wasn't really... Um, I don't tested. know. Nine seems too low. It there is a weird too low. Torture. However, um, he only killed one. I know that body count, as we discussed, doesn't normally do it, but right. he he did. He's not a serial killer. But there is a sadism like like vibe to it as well. He burned himself. He like he I, I I don't know. There's something he didn't torture her. Like he's he doesn't he torture just, her. I mean, as right. far as we could tell. I mean, unless you unless talk you call about emotional abuse. Yeah, or, unless you talk about their actual relationship, where right. it was ho- horribly tor- turmoiled. Yeah. Um. Otherwise, like so, seventeen, for example is sexually perverse serial killers ki- killing is to hide evidence no torture. Yeah. But he's not no. quite there. No. I mean, in this in this case body count probably is going to play a factor cuz he's not going to be a serial killer and a lot of the later categories are serial killers. 
You think he saw that in himself, though, so he killed himself? I, maybe. Like, he, he didn't feel any remorse right. and stuff like that. He's like, I could do it again. I would do it again. And so I he know, got rid of himself. And I know Dr. Stone doesn't usually take in, like, soldier acts of violence and stuff like that into the scale. But if he had killed before in another country while under the guise of the U.S. military, technically that is still killing someone. And so if he felt comfortable doing that Mm -hmm. and he felt he could do that in his civilian life, he stopped himself before he went too far. I mean, not for Addy, obviously, but I don't know. Like, I obviously there's, there's a lot about his remains as far as like the stuff he left behind that he saw a darkness within himself. So. It makes me think of um, sometimes they have uh, the pedophiles that are like sexually castrate me. or They're like, they they, recognize it in themselves and they like, I don't want that to happen. Um, So similar thing here. He's like, yeah, I'm a terrible person and uh, I don't want to continue being one. So, um, as far as on the scale, the other one that could potentially be there is our famous Category 15 because psychopathic cold-blooded. But it tends to be spree or multiple murderers, yeah. and this was not. But it, it certainly was psychopathic and cold-blooded. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I think nine's probably a good one for it. What's ten? Killers of people in the way. Yeah, and we get to a whole string of those. I don't. I don't think that was it. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm satisfied with nine. Is he an inadequate, rageful psychopath? No, I think everything about him was very cold. I don't think there was a rage or anything like that. Is he a ruthlessly self-centered psychopathic schemer? No, I don't think a lot of planning went into this. I think this was a a moment of. I think all his planning came after. after. Yeah. 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 But no, this wasn't some elaborate, like, first I'm going to have her over, and then I'm going to kill right. her, and then I'm going to inherit money. Like, <laughs> no, he killed her, and he's like, okay, well, I'm done with the fucking, so what now? <laughs> Yikes. I can't, like, why? Like, you're a dude. I am a dude. Why? Why do, why do some men do that after they're dead? Explain it to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you You've know. known many. <laughs> No, I imagine it's more a, um, okay, this will sound gross. I can't wait. He was probably aroused afterwards, whether it being just like actually sexually aroused or the adrenaline of being in that moment, he is going to be. Then, ready for action and jerk off like why do it on in the corpse like it's just i don't know Ooh. he was also probably high on something yeah, at the true. time that's probably very true mm. so you got the cocaine Ugh. okay so are we saying zach bowen is a nine i want something more than nine but i can't really see anything on the, the biggest is uh, he definitely didn't have remorse. So there, I think that is a psychopathic trait. As far as we so, can tell, because we're not doctors. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Important to call that out. <laughs> um, from what we've heard from many other true crime podcasts. But, but yeah. I just don't think it was jealous. 
Well, and it's unfortunate that this this case in particular never got the chance to be diagnosed by an actual psychiatrist. Obviously, right. he died I mean, I don't know what might be in his medical records as far as his military service, but I feel like a psychiatrist could have easily told us whether he was psych- psychopathic or not. So we're making guesses. I feel like we're on the right track. I just want the uh, psychologist to be like, yep, he was crazy. (laughs) I know, right? If you could email us and let us know. Yeah. Yeah. That dude's bonkers. (laughs) Technical term, of course. Yes. Nine. It seems so low to me, but I mean, if that's the only one that fits. Well, an an important thing, though, is that like he didn't hunt her down and kill her. Right. Like So is it what bothers you about it being low because he actually like dismembered the body and went through all those steps? There there are a lot of steps that he went to that like it got worse and worse and worse, right? right? So like okay, you he killed somebody. He killed her by strangling, which is very personal, right? right. Then he, you know, did you know, had necrophilia going on. And then he kept her around for days and then he dismembered her methodically right then he decided to cook her yeah but even though he said it was kind of to get rid of the body evidence shows that maybe it wasn't he had planned to cannibalize her Mm -hmm. you know and it's just like it's just like it gets worse and worse Mm -hmm. and worse yeah this is a hard one but i guess i mean like <laughs> Number nine. I guess that, I mean, that's really as far as. Let me see that. Which is actually kind of terrifying when you think about it. That means Dr. Michael Stone believes that there is something more evil than doing that to another person. I guess the idea of doing that to lots of people is probably a lot more evil. Well, that and doing things to living people. Yes. That's true. She was dead before a lot of that stuff happened. Which, I mean, you know, he is clearly fucked up. Yeah. But. Michael Stone, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding, Michael Stone. Dr. Stone, we love you. Torture murderers, but in persons with distinct psychosis. But he didn't torture her. Depends on your definition of torture, I would think. I would think torture being part of the killing act. Mm. No, I disagree with that. Because I think things like the toy box murderers, they kept those people alive for a while and they were just tortured. So, but I tend to agree that I, I don't think that's what, I mean, obviously I don't know what he's thinking, but I don't think that's what Dr. Stone would consider him. What about psychopathic persons committing multiple vicious acts? Including murder. Including murder. That's a number 16. That might be a possibility. These are vicious acts. Yes. Post-killing. Yes. And it doesn't say anything whether it has to be pre or post. It doesn't say that. And this is spree or multiple murderers. Psychopathy is apparent. Yeah. So that's the only thing. It's a spree or multiple murders. But he only did one. But that might just because he threw himself off the roof, right? Okay. Yeah, he was capable. He kind of killed two people. Yeah, there you go. He kind of killed yeah. two people. And we don't know what he did in his military service that right. fucked him all up. But I would think that like the multiple vicious acts is... And that's 17? That is 16. 16. Yeah. And I I mean, like, I think that's... A number nine is, like, the first category for psychopathic features marked. Nine seems just too low for me, but... (laughs) Because, I I, I mean, it's serious. I mean, like, you can count. Like, it's more than than five fingers of the the horrible shit he did. Yeah. Whether she was alive or not, but it's like, yikes. Yeah. 
It was limited to one person. Yeah. Am I the tiebreaker? I get to decide. Are you saying nine? Um, well, I'm not happy with either of them. So I would be okay with either nine <laughs> or 16. Dr. Stone is like, well, fuck you very much, Clinton. <laughs> I need like a 9.5. I need something. That's the thing. I think, I think honestly, I think what it comes down for this one is body count. Like, if you, had, if you had done this kind of stuff to multiple people, you'd be like, yeah, 17 works out great. 16. But because it's one person, you're like, ah, I'm, you're stuck at nine or nine or close to nine. I'm okay with 16. I, the vicious acts, I do feel like, has to be recognized. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, is like... That's the only thing is nine just only says psychopathy. It doesn't say right. anything. Right, however, I, I think the, the real intent behind 16 is multiple vicious acts that affect multiple people, I think, is what they're getting at. I and don't. he did vicious acts that affected one person. I don't and think actually that. didn't affect her i don't <laughs> i don't think that's true at all i think i think it could be vicious acts on one person it's specifically in a multiple murderer sp- like section Category, right but, uh, I so think, again yeah i think the fact that he recognized him in himself that he had the capacity to become that and that he would do it again mm-hmm. kind of that make him more or less evil though no, well now we're talking about thought crime like, no no i mean like i think that would put him into that category okay I think stopping himself before acting on it doesn't put him into 16. I think what he did was gross, but he did not go do it to lots of people. Hmm. So you're for nine. I, I'm more for nine than 16. Only because, again, like he quite distinctly stopped himself from killing more people. Right. And he did it in a way that he didn't turn himself into the police. Like he took himself completely out of the system. Read, read both of them to me one more time if I'm going to be the tiebreaker. Okay, so number nine. Jealous lovers with strong psychopathic traits or full-blown psychopathy. Or number 16, psychopathic persons committing multiple vicious acts, including murder. The suspense. <laughs> I think I'm going to go 16. I think I'm going to go 16. I feel, like the, I, I feel like nine just dismisses all the stuff he did to her. Well, okay, here, here's my question. Okay, so what did Ann Stout do? Ann Stout killed her husband. Right, and she did the whole uh, email thing, right? Right, right. Okay, she did that email campaign to frame the other woman, right? Right. What did Winston Mosley do? Winston Mosley killed Kitty uh, Genevieve. Yeah, so he, he's the one who kept on coming, you know, he came, came right, back. Right. And said, who do you think that this guy is belongs, it belongs in the yeah. same room as? Winston Mosley. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go with think, 16. Clinton? Do you want me to put an asterisk on it, Clinton? This is a big jump. We usually have them like waffling between two categories. But yeah. this is the biggest difference being Winston Mosley hunted her. Like, I mean, hunted. I, not over multiple days. He saw her walking down the street. Alone. Her. Yeah. Right. He had a victim that he planned out yes, and, and he did had terrible a, things. And he had a history of doing it to other people, too. He had, he had attacked other women. True. But he said that he is a terrible person. Just ask anybody. So he has a history of being a terrible That's person. True. I'm going to go with 16. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's fun being the wrong one this time, isn't it? Uh, just because I'm outvoted does not mean I am wrong. <laughs> no, <who? laughs> All right. Oh, my gosh. It's the first episode all over again. <laughs> so 16, Zach Bowen. Do, do, do. All right, go ahead. I'm, I'm Story B, a, please. I'm breaking into one of these cheesecakes. Are you gonna? Are you gonna? Are you gonna drink that drink? Uh, you want it? 
if you don't. Yeah, you can have it. Yeah, this hurricane's giving me lots of feels. I know. I gotta drive, so it's gonna be. <laughs> I do not. All right. So, in the past week, week and a half, ooh, excuse me, ago, uh, one of my friends took me to the interactive Van Gogh experience, which was really, it was a cool experience. But it got me thinking about Van Gogh, and Van Gogh has a mysterious death. So we're going to talk about the death of Vincent Van Gogh. Okay. So Vincent Willem Van Gogh was born March 30th, 1853 in the Netherlands to Theodorus and Anna. He was the oldest of six children, but formed an especially close relationship with his brother, Theodore. In his young life, he was described as a sharp student, but he decided to drop out of school to become an artist. So at the age of 16, Vincent joined his uncle's firm, Goupil and C. <laughs> you Goupil and C. <laughs> Goupil and C, what happens, right? <laughs> they were an international art dealer. He entered their firm as an apprentice. While there, he was able to travel to such places as The Hague, London, and Paris, which greatly influenced his artwork. And one thing I didn't know about Van Gogh is that he went through a Japanese phase. Oh. And so, like, he's got paintings of, like, there's a painting of a geisha, of cherry blossom trees and things like that. Oh, and I they're, know they're very beautiful. I mm. like them, but. Um, I might eat all this cheesecake unless someone wants a bite. Go for it. I'm fine with that. Okay. I would like to interrupt for one moment no. before any readers write in about this. We are aware that there are different pronunciations. <laughs> For Van Gogh, Van Gogh, or whatever, we're going to go with Van Gogh. Yeah. Van Gogh. Um, because it's the right one. All right, here we go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> two days after his 23rd birthday in 1873, Vincent was let go from Goupil and C. Goupil. <laughs> he spent the next five years trying to find work, but ultimately moved back to his parents' house. Theodore was still either living in the house or he was around at that time. So their bond became even more so at that time. Theodore decided that he was going to start financially supporting Vincent. And he would do so the whole of Vincent's life. Theo became a manager at Goupil and C. Good dude, Theodore. And Vincent's efforts to pay him back were in vain because every time he gave a painting to Theo to sell, Vincent was told... It just wasn't what the people of Paris were looking for at that time. Mm -hmm. In 1884, Vincent left his parents' house and started to wander around Europe. It was during this time that his style developed into what we know today. Now, did he go to Japan? No. But so in Paris at that time, when he was visiting as the apprenticeship, there was a big influx of Japanese influence on the culture. It was the chic thing to do gotcha okay so of course in hindsight we can look back and see all the red flags of some kind of mental health disorder that he had it probably plagued him all of his life but in 1888 he took a turn for the worse it was in this year that he cut his ear off and presented it to a sex worker apparently my computer didn't like that and wrote sex worker Sax worker. She's on that street with her horn. (laughs) (laughs) Sex worker. In 1889, Vincent checked himself into a mental hospital. 
He was only there for a year, but created 150 paintings, wow. including some of his most famous works, Iris's Almond Blossom and Starry Night. In the hospital? In the hospital for that year. In 150 in a year? In a year. So like one every two days-ish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, like, so Iris's, which if you saw a picture of Iris's, you were like, oh yeah, I know what that is, right? It was just supposed to be a study. So, oh, I've been to the Van Gogh Museum, I know. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been to the Van Gogh? Was it during your trip to Europe with Abby? <laughs> Although, oddly enough, actually, the Van Gogh area was mostly shut down, and we didn't get the to see all the good floor. stuff. Yeah. yeah, the top floor was shut down, so we didn't get to see excuse sunflowers. We got to, No, we got to see sunflowers, we didn't get to see Starry Night. We did not get like to that. see Starry yeah. Night. I did, I'm sorry, I, I forgot who I was dealing with. <laughs> In January of 18... Oh, anyway, my point is, it was just supposed to be a study. Mm -hmm. So he did it in an afternoon. But, you know, it's this amazing work of art. In January of 1890, Theo and his wife had their first child. They named him Vincent Willem Van Gogh. After his brother just loved him so much. Right? He is the best brother. Yeah. And our Vincent, who we're talking about right now, sent Almond Blossom, the painting, to the family as a gift for the baby. Once released in May of 1890, Vincent moved to a small French village called Auvers. I think it's called Auvers. Sure. Auvers. Auvers. Delicious town. How do you how do you spell Auvers? A U V E R S. Auvers. Auvers. Yeah. Auvers. In an effort. <laughs> You're the expert. <laughs> he took French. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, so he moved to this village in an effort to stay close to his brother, Theo. In July of 1890, Theo told Vincent that he was thinking of starting his own business. And for some reason, this greatly concerned Vincent. He was heavily indebted to Theo and thought himself a burden already. And he also knew that starting one's own business can mean a strain on his income. But he seemed to support his brother in any way he could in the new endeavor. So... You know, emotionally. That's yeah. pretty much all I was about to say, what are you going to do, Vince? Yeah. Good job. <laughs> I'll, do some, I'll do some corporate wall art for yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> you can do it. Yay. On July 27th, 1890, Vincent Van Gogh was staying at the Ravu Inn. R-A-V-O-U-X. Am I going to get that right? Yeah. Ravu. I'll go with that. Why do I got to do these foreign countries? I don't know. I was thinking the same thing when you started. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So he's staying at this inn, and it was a warm evening. Sax workers showed up again? Yeah. <laughs> the sax workers are out again. All right. So it was a warm evening, and Vincent, like most every day, collected his easel and painting supplies and left the inn to walk to a wheat field he liked painting at. Mm-hmm. Being that it was so warm, because again, it's in July, all the people were sitting outside to eat dinner and, and socialize. So there were plenty of people who saw him leave and plenty of people who saw him return. However, when he eventually came back, he no longer had his painting supplies. He had a noticeable limp and his jacket was buttoned all the way up despite the heat. Okay. When the owner of the inn asked after his health, Vincent simply said he had wounded himself in the field and opened his jacket to reveal a bullet wound under his ribs. He had wounded himself? He had shot himself? Yes. Okay. That's what he said. Theo was immediately sent for, and he arrived on July 28th, 1890. Vincent told him this was how he wanted to die. 
And at midnight, with his brother by his side, Vincent Van Gogh passed away. He was 37 years old. In his life, he created over 900 confirmed works and wrote over 2,000 letters. Wow. And so much writing. And so (laughs) there is an example of his writing, you know, one of his letters at the exhibit. And it, it was... It was not so. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was very much what you thought Van Gogh would write, where he's like, hey, the weather's really nice. Have you seen these prices on the blah, blah, blah? <laughs> it's like, I mean, it bounced back and forth on all kinds of stuff, right? But very well, like, it, you know, great vocabulary. Sure. Beautiful handwriting. Um, <laughs> the most popular theory is that Vincent shot himself. The owner of the Ravul Inn's dog. Ravul. Ravul. Ravioli. <laughs> the owner of the inn's daughter gave a statement that said Vincent had gone to the wheat field and in an upset mental state shot himself with a revolver and then passed out. Okay, I'll save my questions for the end. Hours later, he woke up and realized he had not killed himself as he intended and then could not find his gun to finish the job. Mm. So he stumbled back to the end. The, not to the end, the inn. <laughs> Apparently, Vincent himself made an official statement to the police saying, I wounded myself in the fields. I shot myself with a revolver there. He also followed up that statement by telling the police to, quote, not accuse anyone. It is I who wanted to kill myself. Okay. However, there's also reports from onlookers or whatever that stated that Vincent was very confused when the police had shown up to ask him. Like, they asked him... Uh, did you intend to commit suicide? And he's like, I think so. You know, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? Well, he had lost a lot of blood at this yeah. point. Yes. Okay. However, people started to question the suicide story when none of Vincent's belongings were found in the field. All of his painting supplies and the gun were completely missing. Also, no one could explain how or when Vincent would obtain a revolver, especially since they were rare in the village at that time. Hmm. They never found anyone that said that they loaned him one or they sold him one. And because it was in the country and revolvers were expensive items, nobody had one. A theory began to form around a local kid named René Secretin. Sure. Secretin. Secretin. Um, he was a member of a group of boys, teenage boys, <laughs> teenage boys, who would tease and bully Vincent because of his mental illness. Because cool. he was, you know, a strange guy. Yeah. You know? I know. Renee would reportedly put salt in Vincent's coffee, chili powder on his toothbrushes, or not toothbrushes, uh, his paintbrushes, because he liked to put his paintbrushes in his mouth. Mm-hmm. And um, he once put a snake in his box of painting supplies. Oh my god, that's so ridiculous. What a dick, right? Yeah, just a, no. Teenage boys are the worst. <laughs> teenage boys are the worst. I just skipped the teenage the years. I was never mm. the worst. <laughs> you went right from 12 to 50. <laughs> <laughs> and have stayed there ever since. Uh-huh. There apparently came a tipping point when Rene returned from Paris after seeing the Buffalo Bills Wild West show. He had come back to the village fully dressed in a cowboy costume. <laughs> I just love this idea of this like 16 year old kid yeah, trying to like, find himself. What's and, up, guys? I'm, I'm a cowboy. cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> However, his his uh, 
dress? <laughs> no, I mean like his outfit. His costume, right? His uh, uh, included a revolver. Mm. Vincent had teased him and called him Puffalo Pill. <laughs> ah, a, ah, good one, Vincent. Ah, ah, <laughs> Puffalo Pill. <laughs> Can you imagine a teenager like, shut up, man. <laughs> I'm putting another snake in your supplies. Yeah, fuck you, man. I'm a cowboy. <laughs> you don't even know. Puffalo. He's taking his hat off. He's throwing it in the tank. <laughs> Uh, okay. A little th- wispy mustache. <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't shaved in a month. Uh, <laughs> go ahead. All right. <clears throat> a theory developed that Renee and Vincent had gotten into a fight in the field or a different location because there is some question of he, if he actually went to the field or if he had gone a different route that apparently... Would have run into Renee. Yeah, it went by places that Renee liked to fish and hunt. Right. right. Okay, so they got into some kind of fight and Renee shot Vincent, maybe on purpose, maybe by accident. But because he was a child and Vincent had a friendship with his older brother Gaston, who happened to be an aspiring artist, Van Gogh lied about the shooting and protected Renee's identity. Mm. Because at that point... In that time, he would have been charged with murder, and it would have destroyed the family, not right. just him. Right. So, and he didn't, you know, there's there he wouldn't do that to Gaston. And there's also some talk that maybe Gaston was there as well, so he didn't want to have Gaston involved in everything. This f- theory would seem to be supported in the 1930s when some townspeople told an art historian that a group of boys had accidentally shot Vincent Van Gogh. Mm. The murder theory does explain some gaps in the story that the suicide theory does not. Mainly the fact that all of Vincent's belongings were missing and no gun was found at the scene. Also, it would explain the odd positioning of the wound in a place not usually used in suicide attempts. Right. Doing it through the ribs is, I mean, usually it's head or... Yeah. I mean, like, even if you, like, try to, like, do yeah. it, like, you know mock it with your hands besides like a gut wound is the most terrible way to die right yeah, yeah and also so this was the question i was going to ask earlier if it was if it was really suicide and he had found yet he, he passed out and woke up and found himself in the field why didn't he just stay there until he died you know why walk back home right or walk back to the end also so the timeline doesn't work out which is why some people thought he took the different route right the field was over a mile away so he would have had to walk a full mile to get back to the end and if he had actually passed out from the wound, it would have bled more than it seemed to have, mm. right? So it looked more like he had just gotten shot and then returned to the end immediately instead of, you know, fell asleep on his back or something like that in the field. Also, someone who wrote 2,000 letters, he didn't leave a suicide note. Right. On top of that, Vincent Van, Gan- Van Gogh was known to condemn suicide, deeming it, quote, wicked and moral cowardice. Six months after Vincent's death, Theo died as well. Oh, They are buried side by side. Oh, oh but that means little baby Vincent. Yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah. I mean, he left behind a wife and kid. Yeah. And he didn't have time to build his own business. No. Any idea what happened to the wife and kid? I guess you don't have that information. I'm I just wondering if they might have benefited from Van Gogh's later 
famous oh like self. he has an estate and yeah as and the that little baby living, Benson has yeah. it yeah maybe i don't know i mean really at this time it was just at the beginning of his art being noticed so he was actually being displayed in some galleries and things like that yeah like when he died how close was he to becoming famous like how many years later did he become famous it was still a while yeah but he ha- he was starting to become successful so that his art was actually being displayed and bought by people but it was not noticed in that it was this remarkable you know art world changing product well i mean i i'm i can support the dickhead shooting him i theory like i think that probably makes sense the whole shooting in the ribs is weird for suicide yeah and i and the whole like taking all your stuff I mean, that I mean that I feel just playing devil's advocate, like, robbed, you know, or something like that. The problem with this is that... You know, the stuff be- there, people grabbed it. So, so that, I don't yeah, know. because also the whole, like, where did the gun come from? That That's weird, too. That's Yeah, that's a good question that lends itself to, we know of one person in this village who has a revolver. Yeah. It's Puffalo Pill. And, and you know, he's decided to <laughs> And there was right. this whole thing that Renee and his family, they left the village like a few days after um, he died Um, and then when he came back because he was notorious of taking the revolver everywhere he went but when he came back to the village he didn't have it and then apparently he told people that Vincent stole it Mm. but that's just a weird thing oh were you going to add something Uh, (laughs) I had an original point but I can't remember it uh, just like devil's advocate about theories and yeah. stuff like that. I mean, yeah. Okay, so that's the thing. Okay, so the hard thing about this is that Vince Van Gogh had mental health issues. So you don't know where he is at any given point. Right. Right? I mean, he could probably switch in a drop at a drop of a hat or, you know, he could go out there and it's not the weather he wanted and all of a sudden, he, you know, he's going into a manic state or something. I don't know. But it also is like because everybody knew that he was off they assumed oh he killed himself because he has a deranged mind you know i wonder what theodore thought i know what if he believed it was that vincent killed himself maybe i mean he was witnessed or you know he had witnessed his mental anguish yeah the most yeah and i mean he's obviously capable of hurting himself he cut off his own gd ear you know so that's pretty pretty massive his goddamn ear yeah is that what you his, were talking about GD ear. <laughs> and so um, and give it to a sax worker and give it to a sax worker and so uh the idea of shooting himself is not even in even if it wasn't the gut clinton as being like the worst way to die like i could see if it's like capable of something like that right but like you said his stuff was already going to be sold and, and and exhibited i mean he must have heard about those small successes mm-hmm. you would think that would give him a little more hope to keep going and one of the things that hurt the whole, like, theories and stuff like that, and again, it's, it's just a theory, but movies that were made about him always depicted him as this, you know, tortured genius, you know, constantly combating his mental health and then, you know, couldn't take any more and he committed suicide. Right. Those are all fictional or, you know, dramatized, you know, because nobody knows. But because that was what was put into the populace, that's what everybody believed. Right. Hmm. And even now, I mean, 
I, I said, you know, someone asked me, you know, what story you're doing today? And I said, oh, Van Gogh's death. And they're like, is that a mystery? Is that, I thought that. <laughs> so even now people don't know that there's still questionable right. things about it. And also he could have been suicidal and not committed suicide. Yes. And so being shot, he could have just been like, okay, all right. It's time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what it seems like to me. Yeah. Especially if he was protecting Gaston or yeah. whatever. So. Yeah. And th- what a guy if that was the truth of it is that he well, did, he, this little shit yeah. shot him, but he was like, you know what? It's fine. <laughs> I'll die. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, like Clint said, if he was just suicidal, it's like, well, who is this going to benefit if I turn this kid in? Nobody. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. Me, I'd be like, avenge me, you know, and stuff like that. But <laughs> you grab, you grab him by the collar, and like I'm going to haunt you. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he did do that, you know. Yeah. Maybe he did haunt him yeah. for the rest of his life. But uh... also, I think the tortured artist thing is interesting about Van Gogh because I don't think he was as, I don't think he was always in a depressive state. Everybody makes it seem like he was really down and like awful to be around and stuff like that. But I think he had to have moments of of. I don't know, like well, see, optimism and brightness. I mean, Theodore stuck around with him, and you're not going to stick. Even if you love your brother, you're not going to stick around all the time. If you're not going to name your kid yeah, after the downer in your family, right? <laughs> and also, his paintings were there's so much brightness to them, and and like a lot of joy. Oh yeah, stuff there's like that, so all the color mm-hmm. and stuff like that that's used in them. I think he really had something like a bipolar, like highs and lows. Bipolar, or like he just had um, he had clinical depression where it was just like you know, some days he could get out of bed and then some days he couldn't. Yeah. You know, and the only thing that you could do at that time is medicate yourself with alcohol. Right. I mean, there's a, a theory Beautiful. that he had that. Um, Look at your hair. What are you doing? <laughs> he's got a little ponytail. He had that issue with your mind that interprets sound into colors synesthesia yep. yeah i was just about to say that yeah. yeah which i think is a very interesting theory yeah i don't know about that but you know well, for some people who experience it it's it is like it drives you mad yeah like, to be able to do that yeah and stuff like that also i heard there might have been something with his vision because the way he used colors like if you put a filter over them that um like i forget what it's called, like maybe a red green filter or something like that it changes how it looks and it looks more Normal, mm-hmm. and but he didn't, he couldn't see stuff like that, so he used the colors that he saw, right? Kind of thing, and that's why it's so vivid and beautiful. I watched a video about it, and they used, they did this thing where they would, they would show like a mountain or a or a building or something like that, and the sky was to look like his paintings, right? So it's all these like paint strokes or whatever, and they were all moving and stuff like that, and, and like just watching that, I'm like, this is terrible. Can you no. please stop that? <laughs> you know, so. More importantly, I watched a Doctor Who episode about Van Gogh, <laughs> and I can't watch it without crying. Oh, it is a good episode. It's a really good episode. Have you ever seen that one? Yeah. Yeah, it's a really good episode. With Amy Pond. Mm-hmm. And Bill Nye. Um, All right. Well, that's a good one. That's. Uh, I mean, I, despite the fact that we're talking about someone's death, I feel like that ends us on a little bit of a higher note than usual. Yeah. It's a little heartwarming. It is. In the right In the light. right light. And, you know, Van Gogh. Cool dude. Mm-hmm. Beautiful art. He is somebody that I would love to meet. 
Yeah, like pick his brain. Like have a conversation I, with. Honestly, I'd rather meet Theodore. I would want to know what Theodore was going through all that, all those years and stuff like that. I'd be really curious. Well, when we die, maybe we'll be able to meet both. <gasps> Yay! <laughs> maybe you are Vincent and Theodore reincarnated. Oh my reincarnated. god, take your ears. Oh, do you have two ears? <laughs> I, I gave, do. I gave one to a sax worker. Oh my god! <laughs> it works out. So, okay. So, another episode of Murder Brunch done. Yes? Anything else we want to add? If you would like to reach out to us, we're on all the socials under Murder Brunch Podcast. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. That's all of them, right? That's all that exists, right? <laughs> or reach us at our email address, murderbrunchbunch at gmail.com. And we have our Patreon. Correct? Yep. <laughs> it's still going, right? We do have a Patreon if you're interested in, in joining. It's $5 a month. You get drink recipes, some sound bites that we don't put in the episodes, and an extra story from our very own Clinton. The voice of Murder Brunch. The voice of Murder Brunch, Clinton. He does his own true crime story. Eventually, With- we're just going to be calling him The Voice. The Voice. Zombies, <laughs> Power Rangers, mobsters. I tell interesting stories. You do. You do. Next episode, we're getting close to the end of season three. We only have three. This is our ninth episode, so we have three more to go. Three more episodes, so. One of which will be another fictional character, right? Yes, that that is coming up soon. So um, make sure you tell your friends. We're streaming all over the place. And rate and review. And join us next time for. More mayhem. More murder. More snacks. Bye. Bye. Bye.